Well, we are continuing our sermon series. This is now the third in this series, and next week we'll move into the fourth and final part of this. But we've been looking at the genesis of the good news, the beginning of the good news. And trying to connect up here, guys. I'm not sure what the issue is. It shows that I'm connected to the Edmund Sanctuary Apple TV. I'll try one more time. But if not, then y'all might just have to bear with listening to me instead of seeing the slides on the screen. Oh, there we go. Look at that. So um, I... I appreciate what Janelle had to say because I think that as we go through this sermon, we are going to see that when it comes to us, when it comes to people, when it comes to how messy life is, Jesus never shied away from it, never shied away from it. And so last week, we looked at the truth that Jesus is our deliverer our deliverer from the kingdom of Satan, that he, he storms the castle and brings us out. And today, we're going to look at the fact that we don't just need a deliverer, but we also need a healer. We need a healer. And I believe that Jesus is that healer that the world needs. So come with me as we return to Capernaum. Last Sabbath, we saw that Jesus went into the synagogue, and right there in the middle of the service, he cast out a demon. That's what we we focused on last week, and we're going to pick up right there, right where we left off at the beginning of Mark's gospel there in chapter 1. And the Bible tells us that right after this worship service ended, that they left the synagogue and they went to Simon Peter's house. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So on Sabbath, on this particular Sabbath, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. She wasn't feeling well. She was sick. And then once the sun went down, once Sabbath had ended, people started coming out of their homes and they started milling about the city, but they weren't just wandering aimlessly, right? They went to Peter's house. They went to the door because they had heard that's where Jesus was. That's where Jesus was. And there's hope where Jesus is. And so we get this beautiful image of Jesus healing people with various ailments, and also casting out demons. But we don't just get a beautiful image. We don't just get a nice, wonderful story. Remember, the Gospels are not mere historical documents, simply reporting the facts. The four Gospels are first and foremost theological documents with a theological message. 
There's theology in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's writings. They're theologians, not just journalists. And I think that this fact has been forgotten by some. And so it sort of morphed into this idea that, well, you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to get the story. But then you got to go to Paul if you want to get the theology. And I think that we're missing the mark when we do that. When we separate the Gospels from Paul's writings, you can be rest assured when you get to Paul's writings, you're going to get them wrong and you're going to get confused. We don't need this separation, this gap. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are every bit theologians, as Paul was. In fact, you know, I personally believe that the greatest theologian in all of the New Testament is John, the writer of the fourth gospel. So as as we go into these four gospels, all of these gospels present Jesus as healer. They present Jesus as a healer. And he healed all kinds of sickness and disease And this was the single thing that helped his fame spread throughout all the land. And the thing is, though, that Jesus still heals people today. Do you believe that? Jesus still heals people today. And there's no, sadly, there's no formula, right? There's no formula that we can pray a certain way or do a certain thing to make Jesus heal whoever we ask at the time that we ask. It just doesn't work that way. And from now until the age to come, it's going to be an area of mystery. It's gonna be an area of mystery as to why some are healed and some are not. But Jesus was and is depicted as a healer in the Gospels. And as I touched on before, the Gospel writers have a larger motive in sharing these healing stories. So here's the question. What is the universal sickness? And no, I'm not talking about COVID-19. What is the universal sickness that we've all caught that we are all afflicted with? Sin, right? We all know this. It's sin. Sin is the disease, the sickness, the illness that has affected, infected all of us. And so sin, it's this word that is translated from the Greek word hamartia, which the literal translation means to miss the mark, to miss the mark. It's a distortion of our will. It's a distortion of our very being. It's the thing that puts us on a wrong trajectory. And as I mentioned last week, it can turn us into someone that we were never meant to become. And so this thing, this sin, this hamartia, it can keep us from becoming who God wants us to be. That's what sin is. And it's better to understand it as a sickness of the soul than it is as just a forensic legal problem. We need a healer, not a lawyer. Now, when it comes to sin, we're infected, right? And we, we need a doctor. And you can still... You, you can still see Jesus as a lawyer if you want. There's, you know, there's some text to back that up. Um, you can use the, the metaphor of him being our advocate. 
But I don't think it's necessarily the best or the greatest of the metaphors that the Bible uses to describe Jesus. I think it's much better to look at Jesus as a physician, as a doctor, as a healer. Jesus doesn't want to just save your legal status. He wants to save you, your soul. You see, a lawyer, he can get you out of a jam, but Jesus wants to do so much more than that. He wants to rescue you. He wants to heal you. His goal isn't just to get you off the hook. He wants to heal your very soul. A lawyer treats your legal standing, but a doctor treats you and your very being. That's what Jesus is like. Now, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. But I believe that we are far more often punished by our sins than for our sins, which is why we are in such dire need of a healer. We need a healer. When salvation gets reduced to just this sort of uh, a, a verdict of not guilty, I believe it's a cheapening of it. Forgiveness is there, right? And in part one, I preached about that. It is part of the good news, but it's not the full essence of salvation. The full essence of salvation is actually holiness. Now, I realize that when I use this word holy or holiness, in talking about people, some of us can get a little uncomfortable This can be a little off-putting. And I believe that this is because oftentimes legalism masquerades as holiness. And because so many people have suffered from legalism that comes from a broad spectrum, which includes pettiness, but goes all the way to abuse. Because of this, many people have a negative connotation when they hear that word holiness. But I, I wanna urge you not, to throw this word out. In fact, I think that we should rescue this word, rescue this terminology, recover it, because it's a beautiful word. It's a good word. Holiness equates to wholeness. Wholeness. And in the Bible, we're called to be saints, right? And that word saint, what it means is holy one. Holy one. And that doesn't mean super duper pious. It doesn't mean that. What it means is to be whole in your being. You're to become the person that God intends for you to be, but also to be humble about it. Using your uniqueness to bear the very image of God. We're all called to bear the image of God, right? Every single one of us. And we do it in our own unique ways because God has made all of us unique. Can you imagine how boring it would be if we all looked the same, acted the same, talked the same, liked the same things? It'd be kind of boring. It'd be kind of uh, bland. So holiness, it's a good word. And what prevents us from obtaining this wholeness is the infection, the disease, the illness of sin. We need a physician. 
We need a doctor. We need a healer. Now, getting back to our story, after Jesus healed all of those people in Capernaum, he got up real early, before the sun even came up. He got up early, he went off by himself to pray. And the disciples, they wake up and they don't see Jesus anywhere. They go searching for him. And when they find him, he says this to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose, I have come. So Jesus began a bit of a preaching tour here. He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's healing people of various ailments. He's casting out demons in all these Galilean towns and villages. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What faith? Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. This is absolutely beautiful. But we've got to remember here that leprosy was the most dreaded disease in Jesus's day. Absolutely terrifying. Because of its social stigma, lepers were excluded from society. They were forced to live in shameful isolation. They had to cover themselves. They had to shout unclean wherever they went. Some had to place bells upon their clothes. They had to leave their families, leave their homes, leave their communities, leave their jobs. And to make matters worse, they weren't even allowed to belong to the synagogue. They were cast out, ostracized, and shunned. There was a strong feeling of shame connected with being a leper in Jesus' day. Yet Jesus healed lepers not by speaking the words, but by touching them. And that was the one thing, the one thing as a Jew that you were not supposed to do was touch a leper because when you touch that leper, you then became unclean as well. The fact that Jesus healed lepers by touching them has a profound theological message. Of course, Jesus can heal physical ailments. That's part of it. Yes, that message is there, but there's more to it. The theological message is that Jesus is the one who has compassion upon those who are untouchable, those that are out on the margins. Jesus will touch the moral lepers when other people will not touch them. Now, going back to this, this concept of needing to reclaim holiness. This whole thing that Jesus is doing, it was a problem with the Pharisees, both then and now. It's a problem for those that claim to be the holy ones and they try to demonstrate this holiness by zealously rejecting and ostracizing all kinds of sinners. That isn't holiness. That's sinful self-righteousness. 
But Jesus demonstrated true holiness by showing compassion to those who were ostracized. And he did it by touching them, by touching them. Now, Jesus didn't just associate with the moral lepers. He also called for repentance. He called for a change of mind that led to a change of life. Jesus didn't want to leave them as they were. And I do believe that when possible, when someone, when any of us sins, we should make amends for that. We should make things right. Jesus believed in this kind of restorative justice. And I think that as Jesus followers today, we should all be asking the question, who are the moral lepers in today's society and how are we treating them? That's the question. Because at the end of the day, we want to follow Jesus, not the Pharisees. So Jesus, he goes on this preaching and healing tour. And then he comes back to his, his new home base. He comes back to Capernaum. Mark 2, 1 through 2, it picks up. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. I want to pause right here and just say that everybody needs some friends like this. We all need friends like this. These are some great friends. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. How amazing is that? He heals this man, not because of that man's faith, but because of the faith of his friends. This is a powerful moment. But what do you know? The pious religious folk, they were there. They saw what was going on. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit, remember this is just in their hearts. They weren't saying this out loud. They, I think they knew better at this point. But when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? And if you remember, there was another instance where Jesus used that exact terminology, and they had a problem with that too. <laughs> but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. 
Now, it happened as he was dining in Levi's house. This is, this, this is Levi Matthew. We know him as Matthew. As he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to the disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So everywhere Jesus goes, a crowd gathers. People want to be around him. So I want to ask this question, what does evangelism look like in our culture, in our society at this time? What does evangelism look like in the 21st century in America? Does it look like just standing on the street corner passing out gospel tracts? Does it look like going door to door and giving or selling books? I think it can look like that, but it can't stop there. It can't stop there. This is a process, and that might be one step in the process, but it can't stop there. I'm not opposed to those things. I've done them plenty of times. But today, in this current environment that we are living in, evangelism mostly looks like bringing people, bringing friends to good churches. Good churches. Churches where Jesus is present, proclaimed, and at the center of every single thing that is going on within that building and without. Evangelism looks like that. You know, people are looking at this point in time, more so than any other time in history, they're looking for community and they're looking for a place to belong. That's what they're looking for. That's what they're searching for. That's what they are not finding in their day-to-day lives. Evangelism looks like those four friends bringing their friend to the place where Jesus was. And by the way, when I talk about evangelism, I'm, I'm talking about bringing your Christian friends too because sadly there are so many, too many Christians in this world that do not know the good news as it is in Jesus. So in this story, Jesus sees a tax collector named Levi or Matthew. Tax collectors, they were moral lepers in Jesus' day. Tax collectors, they took advantage of people, and they were often Jewish traitors that were colluding with the Romans and stealing money from their own kinsmen. Not a good look. (laughs) Not a good look. They were hated. They were rich, yes, but they were hated and they were loathed. And oftentimes, they were targeted for violence by the zealots. One of the disciples was a zealot. Once you make that little historical connection, you realize it wasn't always uh, hunky-dory within the 12. There were some things brimming below the surface, and I imagine that Jesus was constantly having to put out those fires and redirect their focus. A Jewish tax collector, they would be the most hated person in any Jewish community. Absolutely despised. They were irreligious. 
They were not pious. They were not observant of the customs. They were moral lepers. But Jesus sees one, and he says, follow me. Follow me. You see, Levi Matthew had been on the wrong kind of trajectory. He was going the wrong way, and Jesus wanted to change that, wanted to get him back on a right course. Matthew then throws a big party, right? He's rich. He can afford this. He throws a big old party, and once again, what does evangelism look like? It looks like bringing your friends to the place where Jesus is. Matthew, he just met Jesus, and he's already being an evangelist. He throws this this dinner party, invites all these people, and um, he invites his friends. Now, remember, Matthew's friends were not the Pharisees. They were not the folks from the synagogue. His friends were other tax collectors. His friends were prostitutes. His friends were those that were, quote-unquote, known sinners, the moral lepers. Matthew was friends with those that the pious religious leaders were actively working to shun, reject, and ostracize. And he brings all these people under one roof to meet Jesus because these are the kinds of people that Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, he liked hanging out with these people. And it seemed like these people also liked hanging out with Jesus. Now, he doesn't partake of their sin. They aren't influencing Jesus, but instead, Jesus is influencing them. Right? I don't know if y'all remember that, that sermon that I preached a number of weeks ago talking about that, that hot coal. Remember how, how it touched an unclean man that Isaiah admitted he was, and instead of infecting that coal with unholiness, he was made holy. It's like that river flowing out in Ezekiel's uh, vision of the sanctuary that goes throughout the desert, and instead of drying up, it starts giving life to everything it touches. It's like Jesus going and touching the leper. It's like Jesus eating a meal with known sinners. The Pharisees are upset, (laughs) as usual. This is a recurring theme, right? Jesus is always hanging out with the wrong people, the wrong crowd. And Jesus overhears their judgmental murmurings, and he says these words that are on the screen. You see, Jesus treated sinners as if they were sick. And as if they, yeah, they are, right? We all are. But he treated them as if they were sick and in need of a doctor. Jesus is the doctor, and he is going to treat the sickness. You know, this is the good thing about acknowledging that we are all sinners. Because when we admit that, then we know, when we know our diagnosis, then we know our need. We know our need. It's when we admit that we are sick that Jesus comes with the cure. Discipleship. It's a process. It's a process of growing closer to Jesus, strengthening your relationship with Jesus. And it's through that process that Jesus heals us, sets us on the right path, and helps us become the people that we were meant to become. It's a process. doesn't happen in an instant, though. So, dear friends, I'm preaching good news 
And the good news is that sin is a sickness, but Jesus is the healer. Are you sick? Do you need some healing? Let's draw near to Jesus. Let's enter into his kingdom, and not just so that we can get in there, sit down, get comfortable, and feel good about ourselves, but instead so that we can go out and advance the kingdom. If you believe that this is good news, dear friends, go share it. Go share it through your words, yes, but also through your actions. Next week, for part four, we're gonna take a a closer look at the transfiguration of Christ. I know that we've been looking at the Genesis, the beginning of the good news in Jesus' ministry, but we're gonna spend some time looking at the transfiguration so that we can get a glimpse at the end what it's gonna look like. But for now, I'm gonna invite Heather Preston to come forward and to stand at the foot of the steps as our elder in charge for today. After the benediction, those of you who wish to be dismissed may do so, but if there's anybody here that has a a, a special burden, something that is weighing on their heart, I'm gonna invite you to come forward after the prayer. Talk to me, talk to Heather. We'd love to listen and we would like to take your position to the throne of God. And maybe there's someone here who hasn't yet given their heart to Jesus. But after hearing this good news message today, they say, you know what? I wanna make that commitment. I wanna get to know Jesus. I wanna enter the kingdom and I wanna show that publicly by getting baptized. Please don't leave this place without coming to speak to myself or coming to speak to Heather. Let us pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By both what we have done and what we have left undone, we haven't loved you with our whole heart. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, and for that, we are truly sorry. We humbly repent of our sins, but we are so thankful for Jesus that we may be forgiven and may delight in your will and walk in your ways. May our lives bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for being our healer. Help us to take this good news and share it with the world. And we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.